Uh, well, welcome back. If you've um, our brief pause last week when we looked at the wonderful Christian doctrine of adoption, we're back to Acts, and of course, uh, we're picking up where we left off two weeks ago. Uh, there was, of course, this plot. It's a bit um, boomy, Rod. Uh, the, it was this plot by the Jews to uh, ambush and murder Paul. And of course, uh, so he is transferred under armed escort uh, to a different jurisdiction, uh, to the Roman governor, Felix and Caesarea. A uh, bit of background on our friend Felix. Uh, history tells us that he was a particularly nasty piece of work. Uh, Tacitus, who was the uh, great Roman historian, wrote that Felix indulged, and I quote, in every kind of barbarity and lust. Uh, The Jewish historian uh, Josephus concurs, and he records that Felix had put down several Jewish insurrections with great brutality, uh, which only then served, ironically, to further fan the flames of Jewish rebellion against the Romans. Uh, Now, through his dealings with Paul, Felix is confronted with the gospel. And yet, sadly, sadly, we're going to see he fails to respond in a true and just way to both the gospel messenger, Paul, and the gospel message, which he declares. Uh, There is some conviction in Felix for his need for faith in Christ. However, as we're going to see, other factors cause him to defer making a decision for Christ. Uh, Felix exemplifies people who are curious about the gospel but for various reasons, never respond rightly to the gospel. Uh, They prefer to sit on the fence. On the one hand, they don't want to reject it absolutely, but on the other, they don't have the heart to embrace it unreservedly. So today we're going to see two things in this passage, uh, the uh, exoneration of the gospel and the challenge of the gospel. So firstly, the exoneration of the gospel. Of the gospel. And we need to remember, of course, to whom Luke is writing this letter of Acts. It's to a man who is called Theophilus, and it's likely that Theophilus is a high ranking Roman official. Now, one of Luke's aims in writing this letter is to assure Theophilus that Christianity is no threat to the empire. And in chapter 24 of Acts, Luke now presents an account of Paul's hearing in a Roman court. And in so doing, uh, Luke is building and continues to build the case that exonerates the Christian faith from all these false charges that are leveled against it. So chapter 24 opens with uh, this Jewish delegation presenting their case to Felix, the Roman governor. Now, considering the Jewish hatred of Felix's brutality, their opening statement is riven with vomit-worthy flattery. Look at verse 2 again. When Paul was called in, uh, Tertullius presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. Who's he kidding? You can imagine his toes must have been curling up in his sandals as he said those words, but nevertheless, he does, of course. And his charges against Paul are 
pitch to just touch on the raw nerves of Roman sensibilities, particularly their concern to maintain peace throughout the empire. Look at verse 5. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. You see? He's a threat to the empire. He stirs up unrest wherever he goes. He's constantly causing a disturbance of the peace. Uh, He continues with the charge. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. So, you see, uh, Paul is firstly a troublemaker, secondly, he's a leader of a dangerous sect, and thirdly, he is a desecrator of the temple. Uh, In his defense, uh, Paul convincingly contests each charge. Uh, Paul says, I didn't cause a riot. It's actually the Jews who did that. Look at, verse 20, uh, look at verse 11. He says this, You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. Uh, also, He's not the leader of a sect. Paul says his beliefs stand in continuity with and indeed fulfill the hopes of mainstream Judaism. Look at verse 14. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Uh, he continues. Uh, far from being a temple desecrator, he actually was acting in accordance with the law. Verse 18. He says, I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. Now, Roman law required the accusers to present their charges to the accused face-to-face. And yet, of course, the absence of the Asian Jews who initially caused, uh, accused Ruth, uh, Ruth, Paul, uh, and caused the riot uh, was a serious breach of due process because they weren't there. Look at verse 19. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. So, uh, the case against Paul is pretty leaky. Uh, the Roman commander in Jerusalem, uh, Lassius, he has found no fault with Paul. Uh, he even wrote a, an accompanying letter to that effect, which uh, he sent to Felix. At the Sanhedrin, when they had examined Paul, had found no charges against him. And now this Jewish delegation have indeed and in turn been unable to substantiate the charges. So you see, again, uh, the false rumors and accusations against Christianity 
have been proven to be groundless. And if justice was served, Felix should have released Paul. And yet he doesn't. You see, Paul is walking the same path as his Lord, Jesus. Both Jesus and Paul are falsely accused by the Jewish authorities. And even though proven innocent, both Jesus and Paul are denied justice by a Roman governor. With Jesus, it was Pilate who gave in to the wishes of the crowd. And in Paul's case, it is Felix who deliberately fumbles the ball and plays for time. He defers judgment, verse 27. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, which is referring to Christianity, adjourns the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and to permit his friends to take care of his needs. And yet, judicial delay leads to gospel opportunity. The gospel messenger now declares the gospel message. Remember, after his Damascus Road conversion, uh, God revealed his purpose for Paul. Uh, Acts 9, verse 15 again. Uh, This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And Paul is now enacting that purpose. He is carrying Jesus' name before the Gentiles and their rulers. And he's just done that in Felix's civil court. And now he will continue to carry the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but now in a private private audience with Felix. Verse 24. Uh, Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Now, uh, Felix and his wife were both uh, quite interesting characters, and they were quite a couple. Uh, Felix's reputation for indulging in every kind of brutality and lust uh, extended to his marriage, particularly the lust aspect. Now, Drusilla was the Paris Hilton of her day. Uh, She was a young Jewish woman who was renowned for her beauty, Uh, She was of royal blood, uh, being the daughter of King Agrippa I. Uh, No doubt, like Paris Hilton, uh, she was a little bit spoilt. Uh, She was initially married to a guy called King Azizius. However, uh, Felix takes a shine to her and manages to break up that marriage by wooing her away to marry him instead. And she becomes Felix's third wife. So, uh, Paul now has this private audience with this rather debauched and depraved couple. And in one short verse, uh, Luke gives us this pithy summary of the gospel that Paul declared that day. Look at verse 25. Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Uh, what Paul is doing is presenting to them uh, three aspects of salvation through Christ. Uh, Firstly, he's talking about that decision in the past where we get righteousness. Then, the ongoing work of salvation in the present where we live self-controlled lives. 
And then, of course, the ultimate aspect of salvation in the future, uh, the judgment to come. Uh, Let's consider each of those in turn. So Paul says he he discoursed on uh, righteousness. Uh, It's what we saw in Romans. It's this righteous status that God gives us through faith in Christ. Romans 1 verse 17 again. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. Uh, It's what we call, it's the doctrine of the justification by faith. It's this gift of grace to all who will by faith embrace Christ as their saviour. Secondly, Paul discourses on the present aspect of salvation, self-control. You see, those who are saved by grace, uh, there is then a response to grace. Uh, Grace demands a response of grateful obedience and submission to Christ as Lord over us. Uh, Titus 2 verse 11 to 13 uh, puts it beautifully. Let me read it to you. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Paul then thirdly expounds the future aspect of salvation, the judgment to come. It's what Paul presented so clearly and unapologetically in Romans chapter 2. Look at Romans 2 verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Uh, These days, Christians tend to be a little shy of talking about God's final judgment. Uh, Maybe it's a reaction against the fire and brimstone charge leveled against some preaching in the last century. Uh, God's judgment is not a popular contemporary dinner party topic, as I'm sure you've found. And whilst it isn't appropriate to bring it up in every conversation, uh, we, of course, should beware of slipping to the other extreme of relegating the topic to the division of the never-to-be-mentioned. I had an instance once where I was supporting a friend who was being taken to court. Uh, He wasn't a Christian. Uh, He was agnostic. Um, But as we were between the hearings and we went out for a, a bit of fresh air, I said to him, you know what, Uh, it's interesting, you know, this whole court thing, but actually uh, God himself will one day convene a court and will call everybody to to judgment. Uh, He himself was probably suffering uh, some quite grievous uh, wrongdoing by being called to this court hearing. He was in all likelihood innocent. And I said, one day uh, God is going to put every wrong right. It was a great opportunity in that setting just to talk quite naturally about uh, God's final judgment. So back to our friend Felix. Uh, How does he respond? Uh, Well, he responds responds with fear and evasion. Uh, Sensing Paul has a missile lock on him, uh, Felix breaks off engagement, uh, pulls back on the joystick, 
and banks hard right and retires to save his aircraft. Look at verse 25. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid, and he said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. Uh, Why does Felix respond this way? Well, I think we can see there are three reasons here why he defers faith in Christ. Uh, There are three factors which seem to hold Felix back from a right response to the gospel messenger Paul and the gospel message. Uh, Three reasons are evidence that cause him to effectively defer putting his faith in Christ, and they are these. Firstly, a desire to maintain his chosen lifestyle. Uh, Secondly, greed. And thirdly, uh, political expediency. So firstly, this desire to maintain his chosen lifestyle. Uh, We're told that Felix was afraid. And when the doctrine of God's final judgment is correctly understood, fear is a reasonable and right response. For the day is coming, and that day will be terrible for those who are not yet ready. Listen how uh, the Apostle John describes that day in the book of Revelation. Revelation 6, verse 15. Uh, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Referring, of course, to Christ. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The doctrine of God's final judgment day is threatening. It means that what we do now matters. Although people like to think that they're free to live how they please, ultimately, they are not. One day, God will call us all to account. During the Second World War, a German businessman called Oskar Schindler was in the city of Krakow when the ruthless German SS soldiers were moving Jews from the ghetto in the town to a concentration camp outside. Uh, one day, Oskar Schindler watched in horror and in disbelief as the soldiers brutally murdered a mother and her son in full view of many people. He asked himself, how could they behave like this? Uh, Did they not fear that one day they would be brought to justice? Uh, That evening, as Oscar thought further about this, he realized why they acted as they did. They were not concerned about people seeing what they were doing because they believed that all of these witnesses would eventually be killed as well in the concentration camps. They thought that they could act however they liked because they assumed that they would never have to give an account for their actions. As far as those soldiers were concerned, there would be no future day of reckoning. They did not need to fear being brought to justice. Oscar Schindler has put his finger on why they acted like they did. Those soldiers thought they wouldn't be called to account. If they had realized they would be, then they wouldn't have acted thus. 
the gospel declares that there is a future day of reckoning for every person. There will be a future day of God's judgment when all wrongs will be put right and when justice will be served. And a healthy, fearful respect for the final judgment drives us to faith in Christ now and thereafter to live self-controlled, godly lives as we wait for Christ's return. Uh, Felix is unsettled by Paul's teaching, but he doesn't want to follow through on its implications. Paul's teaching was a threat to Felix's chosen lifestyle. Faith in Christ would call for a change. He would have to turn from his barbarity and his lust. And indeed, a conviction falls upon him, but rather than facing it, he runs from it. A second factor which held Felix back from a right response to the gospel was greed. Uh, Felix is somewhat a conflicted soul. On the one hand, he shuts down the meeting with Paul when it gets too close to the bone. And yet, on the other, he proceeds to arrange further meetings with Paul in the hope of getting some cash. Look at verse 26. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, and so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. And then there is a third factor which holds Felix back from a right response to the gospel messenger and the gospel message, political expediency. Uh, Felix, we're going to see, he is driven more by political expediency and the praise of men than by any sense of justice. Uh, His tenure as governor comes to an end, and look what happens in verse 27. Uh, When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius, Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Uh, Again, Josephus, the Jewish historian, gives a little bit of background uh, to the demise of Felix's career. Apparently, um, the Jews sent a delegation to Rome to complain to the emperor about uh, Felix's ruthless suppression of some dispute between the Jews and the Gentiles in Caesarea. Uh, And this led to Felix being relieved of his post in AD 59. Eventually he returns with Drusilla, his wife, to live in Rome. But Felix concludes, uh, before he exits this role, that it's it's to his political advantage if he can leave on a good note with the Jews. He wants the Jews to in some way be beholden to him. And so... Uh, He denies Paul justice, and he leaves him in jail. Again, Felix veers away from making a right response to the gospel and to its messenger. And with this, uh, Felix walks off the stage of recorded human history. Uh, Felix had an interest in the way, in Christianity, but as far as we know, it went no further. Uh, Felix was stirred but he wasn't changed. Felix has a reasonable knowledge of Christianity, we're told in verse 22, that he is well acquainted with the way. And he's curious to find out more, but only so far. He has a knowledge of Christianity, but he shies away from a personal faith in Christ. The bottom line is this. When it comes to it, he chooses to live for the here and now rather than for eternity. He chooses the short term at the expense of the long term. He wants to live as he pleases 
without any accountability. Uh, He desires autonomy, uh, and his desire for autonomy leads him to trade Christ's lordship over his life for his own lordship. Uh, His greed drives him to trade eternal life for an affluent life. His desire for personal advancement led him to trade the favor of men for the favor of God. People throughout the centuries since have continued to refine the art of deflecting and deferring when it comes to a decision for Christ. We may know people like that. And we may despair as to how they will ever change. And for humans, such change is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Because, of course, God sends his Spirit And God's Spirit performs this wonderful work of conviction in the person's heart. John 16, verse 8. When he, that is the Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. And so for our part, we continue to pray for these people who we know who are in this situation and we look for opportunities to live out the gospel before them, to love them, and ultimately to speak the gospel to them. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, your gospel is indeed powerful, uh, and it is the means by which we can be saved from the judgment to come. Uh, Your spirit is indeed active in the world, convicting us of our need for righteousness and the reality of judgment. And your word declares that gospel, and your spirit takes those words and applies them to the hearts of people all over the world. We pray that you continue that wonderful work uh, through us as we reach out to those who have not yet embraced Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Help us to be patient and to love them, and to keep praying for them, we pray. Amen.